last last week, you may have heard Dad sort of briefly mention, next week I'll be gone, Pete will teach. Or something like that. I didn't take him at face value. <laughs> I sort of took that as a father-son joke. You know. But yesterday, he left the house and was like, remember, you're teaching tomorrow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, sounds good. Anyway, so I didn't really have a subject to teach on, but then I realized that I did. Um, I had drafted up this post for my blog about this subject, and I'm not going to post it anymore. I'm just going to get on the soapbox and talk about it because <laughs> I'm very passionate about this subject. <laughs> now, actually, I'm looking around the room. And I don't think anyone... Let me just pop this up. So, I didn't know what to call the class. <laughs> it's not about wives, actually, at all. Um, or which guy. That's like... head fake. It's not more. I think it's a really good one. More doesn't. Like <laughs> well, okay. Well... At least tomorrow. No, it's not. I'm, I'm actually talking about... Um, so, it's not about polygamy. It's not about polygamy. <laughs> Polygamy is an interesting word. Um, <laughs> it's, it's about media. I'm talking about the media. I'm specifically talking about yeah. um, the medium of the tube. Yeah. TV? Yeah. Okay. Television. <laughs> so, and that's my deal. Um, I have a soapbox. I'm going to stand on it. So, bear with me because I just... I threw together some slides to go with my mental notes last night, and I don't work very well at night, but this is like between the hours of 10 and 12. That's not a squitcherini sanctioned time. That's more like when we sleep. Um, it was a weird night. Anyway, so, bear with me. Can I get a show of hands just to start off? Who, who uh, watches things? Anything. Who watches movies? Did anyone see the new Batman movie? Mm-hmm. Not yet. Did anyone see Batman Begins? Yes. Did anyone see the latest Mission Impossible movie? Yes. Did anyone see? Does anyone watch uh, television shows at any? On cable television? No, no, no. Doesn't matter. Recorded? Anything? Anything like that? Anything? Nothing. No television. Occasionally. Uh, Presidential debate or news. Yeah. yeah, good. Just, just, I love those. The same thing. Um, good. I like to hear this. But even those are streamed off of YouTube or online. So that right. Like okay. And there, there's that. There's that idea of um, is it really television if we're watching it on the computer? It is. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Yeah. But then, I mean, that that boils down to is it really? Uh, is it really a computer if we're watching television on it? Ooh. Been there. <laughs> that kind of speaks to the whole convergence issue. Like, mm-hmm. Where does your TV end and your computer begin and second screen devices? And like yada, a yada, yada. hermaphrodite. I, uh, I, I think we should, we should just make it easy not just bother ourselves with the, this, the ever-changing uh, attributes of television. Just, just, call, just change the word. Not, not television, just... Uh, media, and it doesn't matter what device you use. Exactly. Okay. Good. Yeah. No need to have 
Sir. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, I'm really glad we're actually talking about this topic because um, as a depth psychologist, I'm very much interested in how the media affects people on the unconscious level. Sweet. In fact, um, I won't talk about this for too long, but <laughs> to give a quick overview, what I plan on doing my dissertation on is to see how the media, uh, particularly feature film, portrays um, characters who are physically disabled and huh. how that affects our culture collectively um, in a negative way. And this can go with the type of musical score that mm -hmm. accompanies a character who arrives. You know, we all know when the villain comes on the scene because there's some fiendish, ominous music fiendish. that starts playing. So that <laughs> coupled with how they're presented from the way the camera shots are and the use of shading and coloring and things like that. So, Amen. Definitely comment, because we're going to talk about okay. that kind of thing. Um, not specifically the subject of your thesis. Right, right, right. But yeah, um, I, I, I'll just let you know to, to start off, my position on movies and television is sort of an abstinence type position in that I don't really, um, I, like I haven't seen, I haven't seen anything in a couple, maybe about a year is when I stopped. So I come from this, I'm, I'm going to be pushing that a little bit. My, uh, that's my thing. Um, but I'm not dogmatic, and I'm, I'm looking for discussion, because all of you... It seems like it's sort of a like a personal issue. People get a little emotional, gets a little dicey, talking about like never watching TV again. Although it shouldn't, I mean. That's not an emotional thing. Hopefully it's not an emotional thing. Um, anyway, so, let's just dig in. Definitely stop me. To talk, because there's no reason for me to, to talk too much in this case. Got it. Got it. All right. Why do we watch? Two reasons that I could think of, and if you can think of any others, let me know. One is entertainment. That's sort of an obvious one. <laughs> and the other is education. Um, and what I mean by watch is is really just uh, exactly what I what I said. Just watch something. Between um, so putting the two together, you get edutainment. Edutainment, entertainment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's that's one of the uh, points I may return to near the end is is how dangerous it is, dangerous it is when those two cross, and uh, when the line is blurred between uh, watching television or movie for education and it being entertaining or uh, education presented in, in, in an entertaining way. And, and there's definitely some vitriolic sides to that argument, but it's something to think about. Anyway, we'll be focusing in tonight on entertainment, because um, I don't have a whole lot to say about education. Like, the only education that I can think of is maybe watching... Natural Geographic, something like that. Mm, yeah. History Channel. Yeah, okay, that makes sense, I guess. Ish. That's sort of like, I put that on the line between entertainment and education, and that's sort of the point, is that that's put in a context of entertainment, and yet it's supposed to teach us something, and that messes with our heads. Really? Yeah. Well, <coughs> oh, go ahead. I, no. <laughs> oh, Marcus. Yeah. 
I certainly think when it comes to the education that the subject or whatever you're trying to learn matters a lot because I've recently read how video has completely revolutionized the science experiment Mm. industry because now instead of writing out very explicit directions of how to do something, they'll video it and show how to do something. So sort of like the DIY channel, do-it-yourself channel, you know, that kind of thing is, it has a lot of value to it um, because you can demonstrate something and a lot of people learn by visual, visuals and, and audio, so that, that can be a good thing, but where it, it really falls short is when information that is meant to be very serious, information that is meant to be taken very solemnly, perhaps, sure, you could sure. say, Whenever they try to package that as entertainment, it, it loses its value and it makes it less it loses its solemnity. Yeah. <clears throat> sure. So maybe you could articulate for me what caused you to make the decision to abstain from said media. This is the class. <laughs> okay. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's what I'm going to go through. Okay. Because I, I see it, and I will say this on the next slide, right now. Did you have something? Um, okay. No, I think I'm going to wait for my oh. comics, because when I take off, I'm <laughs> going to be able to stop. So, Airborne. <laughs> so, um, I see modern-day media as affecting us in three, three broad categories. Psychologically. Mm-hmm. Actually, I was going to look up exactly how to say this uh, second word, because um, I always put the syllable in a different place, but... Temporal? Temporal. Temporal. Mm-hmm. Like tempe. Anyway, <coughs> time-wise, it affects us. And morally, it affects us. And so, in, in my uh, attack of media, or modern media, I... I attack two uh, sides of it. One is the actual medium of the television or the theater, and the other is the content within it. So, medium and content. And if you look at the three effects I've listed, the psychological side of it is mostly falling under the medium. The moral part of it is where we get a lot of content. And then there's this overlap of how it affects our time uh, the time we waste on it or the time we uh, use to watch things has a little bit of psychological impact, a little bit of moral impact, depending on which way you want to come from it. So, hence my, that's a Venn diagram. <laughs> you guys into Venn diagrams like I am. <laughs> my they're, they're really, uh, let's just look at it a second. Really, really put it in, in a nice way, overlapping. Could have changed the color, maybe. Well, stand out more. Could have, but I couldn't think of an appropriate color for blue background. <laughs> Is that green? It's like, sir? It's green. Well, it's a greenish bluish anyway. We really don't need to get into specifics. Oh, yeah, I was just going to read the next question if we were going to go through each of them. Yeah, we sure are. Some things I wanted to ask you about in terms of psychological effects, but. Psychological effects. So, I don't know that. That's the most accurate heading, but I, this is how it affects our mind, basically. Um, 
firstly, I should say there's there's an excellent book, probably one of my top ten books, called Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman. And uh, he really hits on, I think it was written in maybe the early 90s or late 80s, and he really hits on uh, the medium uh, that we're talking about here and how it's affected us. He goes into the history of it all and quite a serious book. Anyway, I, I get a lot of his stuff in the psychological part from from his book because I think this is really important. Um, it has to do with those those two uh, prophetic, in quotes, books written uh, at the beginning of the 19th century by Orwell and Huxley. So and George Orwell wrote the book 1984 and Aldous Huxley wrote the book uh, Brave New World. And 1984 rolled around, and Orwell's stuff was not really coming to pass, this uh, oppressive government and everything. And I don't think Huxley got enough press for, for his ideas of what was going to happen. Um, but I have a few here that uh, Orwell warns us that we'll be overcome by an externally imposed oppression, like Big Brother. And Huxley says that people will come to love their oppression to adore the technologies that undo their capacities to think. Orwell feared those who would ban books. Huxley feared that there would be no reason to ban a book, for there would be no one who wanted to read one. Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much that we would be reduced to passivity and egoism. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared that the truth would be drowned in the sea of irrelevance. Orwell feared that we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared that we would become a trivial culture. That really, um, that sums up the entire talk, really. I'm on the Huxley side of things, obviously. That we don't have book bannings and stuff like that going on. What we do have is like no one reading, hardly, except for the men in this room. The truth is drowned by all the irrelevance and the triviality and stuff like that, Greg. Just to add to your findings here, Rabbi Daniel Appen mentioned in one of his audio classes this fascinating result of a study that this guy did. I guess he there's this study that they give all the astronauts in NASA that tests creativity levels. And he decided to give it to like a five-year-old or a, a three-year-old or some, a very young child. I think he was five. And they scored off the charts on this creativity test that they give astronauts. And the astronauts actually have to make a certain score in order to even be an astronaut. And after he, this, this finding, he decided, well, let's just see how this plays out. So five years later, they're 10 years old now, gives them a test again. And they, it's like cut in half their scores. Drastic, same people, same test. They've done it before, and they still score significantly lower. And that's the trend. It just drops off the cliff after 15. And the whole point of this finding, in, in my opinion, is the way that we are educated becomes, as we grow older, more like this is this is what it is and you, you have no say in this and you don't need to think at all because this is it done uh, an example of that is like when you are watching 
a movie instead of reading a book. When you're reading a book, you're actually using your imagination a lot. I mean, you're coming up with what every character looks like, what they sound like. I mean, all the stuff you're dreaming up in your own head. But when you watch it in a movie, they're showing it to you, and there's nothing you can do about it. You, you have no reason to use your imagination because it's just being shown. So we see that trend in the education as well, where things are just spoon-fed, and there's no longer, like, just, just kind of find this out for your own and, and really play with it in your, your head and, and mm-hmm. utilize your, your imagination a little more. So it was interesting because it, it plays off of what you're talking about here. Yes. It's the lack of reading and too much information on it. Good call. I remember reading that thing from Lap and scary. Yeah. I feel like most of my life when I see I mean, I, I think... The too, the too much information is, I mean, that is spot on. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in our society, with all of our devices and all of the, you know, data that we have, uh, I mean, I would almost recharacterize that a little bit. It, I, would, I would say too much data. Mm-hmm. Too much data to the point where it's hard to make information out of the data because you're just constantly inundated, right. you know, with Data, yeah, mis- right. misinformation. Um, so, I mean, that's that's an example where you know our technology, while on one hand it's our one of our greatest strengths, you know, as a as a culture and as a nation, it's also our greatest weakness. Um, uh, I mean, you can see that just in the last twenty four hours with. With mm-hmm. Sandy in the East Coast, right? You know, eight million people without power, and it's like pandemonium. It's like total chaos mm-hmm. because we are totally dependent on all of our technology, you know. And um, and we've got a couple generations now that have no idea what life without electricity is, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, you know that. That's where we really live on the edge because it was it doesn't really wouldn't really take that much in a technologically advanced society like ours to to create a situation of total fire sale total you know uh, almost anarchy for lack of a better term because um, the grid goes down for an extended period of time. All communications go. I mean, one example. Everything. When, when we were still in Texas and Hurricane Rita came through, uh, I remember you couldn't go to the grocery store. People were trying to go to the grocery store to get food and supplies. You couldn't go to the grocery store because the grocery store lost power, so you couldn't even get in because the electric doors <laughs> couldn't open. Right. So then they kind of manually pry the doors open. You know. But then they couldn't check anybody out, out right. because they had no cash registers or com- you know, computers to actually check people out. So because all our money is digital now, well, all all the money is digital, but commerce is digital. Um, but the point is, it just you know it, everything just came to a complete and total standstill. Um, so it's a our technology. It's a it's it's a it's a great asset on one hand, but it's a, it's a huge risk to us 
on, a, on, on the other hand, and that shows up in this concept of mm-hmm. you know just this inundated constantly with with data, data that we can't really see or focus on the information mm-hmm. that we really should be focusing on because it's just kind of Glad you brought that up, Greg, about the kind of the dual poles of the technology being a great asset and a big risk because then it gives us the job of kind of maintaining the tension of the opposites, you know, and, and to sit with this tension that, yeah, we have this technology, but at the same time, if anything were to happen where it doesn't work properly, then it could cause people to start panicking and then it would just continue mm-hmm. to escalate. Um, to tack on to what both you said um, I think you're exactly right like my generation our generation doesn't know what to do with all the information we have Um, my dad often says that if he had had Google when he was my age he never would have gone to college because he would have learned everything that he learned there on the internet and just that's because you know his generation was you know thought that way they know what to do with this information because they grew up without it they're like I mean if I had that I could have I could have been so much more uh, successful uh, when I was younger because I could have learned this without even um, paying for college. And it's kind of sad if you think about that. If we have that capability now, then um, why aren't we learning the things we could learn with the information we have? And why are we still learning it the way that the generation before us learned it if we could learn it better? Mm-hmm. I'm not hating on I'm not hating on college. College is great. I am. But, uh, you can hate on college. But uh, I'm just saying, if, if that's the case... And if the information is there waiting for us to get it, and I know it is because that's how I learned to do what I do now professionally, uh, and not that I, uh, you know, and the, but I only re- realized that was the case. I didn't think that way at first. My, my dad was like, hey, you don't need to do that. Look, he, here. He had to show me how to use technology, uh, information that was already available to me. Mm-hmm. Even though I grew up with all this technology, and he, he had to show me, like, okay, this is what you need to do, not this other thing. So I th- actually think it's really sad, the fact that, you know, our generation can't do anything with the information that incompetent. we have. Yeah, we're incompetent. Yeah. We're not incompetent, but our generation is. Right. <laughs> I mean, one, one example would be auto repair. Like, I, I remember growing up, my dad... Anytime there was something that needed to be done <laughs> on one of our cars, my dad did it. Yeah. I mean, he... He'd pop the hood, he'd crawl into the car, he'd, you know, whatever, change brakes, whatever it was, you know. Uh, <laughs> you, can't, you can't do that anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Because the, the, the systems are all computerized, the technology is, 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 is to the point where unless you've got the right equipment and you've been trained a certain way, you, know, you can't just, you know, crawl into your car and fix nothing. Not that I would have done that, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. I mean, yes. So that's that's an example battles. where uh, uh, things evolve and things change. That's very true. But um, the reverse of that is also the case. Like um, going back to the information being available, I once had to replace all the spark plugs in my car, and I'm not a car guy. I've never. I beyond changing the, I didn't change the oil. Beyond putting oil in the car, I've never touched it. But I, I the first thing I did is okay. Google must have the answer. So I Googled it, the make, the exact make and model of my car, and almost the exact color too. They had the instructions, and I did it. And I was like, okay, I could do this. It's just, 
there's there's both sides to it. It's like we have too much information, and sometimes you can't process it. But you know, also the information is there if you if you know how to find it. And I think that's going back to the point of being a trivial culture, mm-hmm. because because of too much information, because of all the things prior to that, we become trivial. Sorry, I forgot my main point, but I guess just in comparing Orwell and Huxley, are you setting up or trying to set up a dichotomy where um, that where essentially one when deprived of of in, form of information or of entertainment um, esteems it more whereas the other one where it's so readily available um, uh, it's, it becomes uh, just common out of place and and has no value or what's yeah okay but that's interesting I think that thought I just thought well I, more or less I'm just kind of asking like, what's I put what's the idea? I put it up here this particular slide to demonstrate that um just to demonstrate that Huxley was right. Not to extrapolate too much data from it, but that um, the culture we're in now aligns heavily, and and we can identify a lot of superficial problems um, based on his predictions. Uh, The last bullet there, captive culture versus trivial culture, what what, what do they mean by that? What what is he trying to say? Captive meaning... Okay. Yeah. Trivial culture meaning everyone knows like how to play the game trivial pursuit. Like a like a bomb because of all the stuff they know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Are there any more comments on this particular slide or should we move on? I mean I I see it as um I mean I'm very like passionate about this as well. Um which probably heard from a talk I gave a while ago. Mm. Our generation being fat and lazy and awkward. So I you mentally. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, I I, I kind of see like where 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 Orwell was going with this, you know, kind of like a oppressive tyrant tyranny like regime yeah. type thing. But we can just see how crafty the enemy is in this. You know, the devil's the author of confusion. Mm. He's like, oh, I'm not, not going to bluntly just throw things at him. I'm just giving him way too much information. But you know all this yeah. stuff, and I, you know, you clearly, and it's, it's, it seems so like clear, you know. But I mean, we'll probably talk more about TV later. But I, I've seen the fruits of it, you know, growing up in my, in my own home as a, as a kid. You know, yeah. I went through the whole public school system of America. And the fruits of it are so rotten, <coughs> so destructive. So I'm looking yeah, forward to hearing you talk about it. Um, no, I guess. Uh, we gonna is this uh, also include the entertainment piece? Or are we um, talking more about the educational side of it? Like, like entertainment specifically. Okay. Because you know, I'm I'm thinking too, as far as you know, what draws people in, mm-hmm. especially with uh, you know movies and, and things like that. And I'm thinking along the lines of, um, and I'll try to you know, explain it as best as I can from the psychological school that I'm a part of, um, so that I'm not completely out in left field, but, uh, you know, there's something about presenting, like, archetypes that right. draws. Superman. Right, right, is an archetype, or you have, you know, Gandalf as the archetypal wise old man, or, you know, things like that, 
you know, and so for me, what I'm interested in most of all is is how people take that in on the right. unconscious level, and and how, what the draw is, and, and how you know maybe even the spiritual side of things, how the enemy uses that to influence people, and if they even realize or if they're conscious of the fact that they are being influenced, or if it's just still on the unconscious level. That would be scary, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's true. <clears throat> so, this is an odd part of what I'm talking about, uh, because I don't quite have my head wrapped around it, because I just, um, you know, it takes time to think about things. <laughs> anyway, so there's this idea of uh, resonance and how your statement in a particular context has resonance uh, when it has a, like a meaning, a universal meaning. And so Postman in his book posits that uh, every, and I, I have this here, every medium of communication has resonance. And his point is that uh, like a, how does something get resonance? It gets resonance by metaphor. So, like the like Eden is is a place, you know, the Garden of Eden, and when that can be applied to something more than just the physical location of the garden as a metaphor, now that has resonance. That can be used universally as uh, in in diverse attitudes or experiences. We can we can throw these out like Alice in Wonderland. We can associate that with other things and has resonance. So every medium has resonance, and he's talking about the different cultures, oral culture, written culture, or today's uh, television-based culture, all visual culture. And uh, to bring it up, he's got a, a, an example tribe in Africa, which is completely oral-based. Everything's oral. And to, uh, when there's a, what is it? There's a problem, and two people have to go to their court type thing. The chief there has this vast knowledge of proverbs and witty sayings, and he just lays one out that satisfies both people, and uh, that's justice. Justice has been served uh, based on based on like proverbs. There's all this oral culture, something written down, and if you try to take that into our court system, you can't. Because we don't work on like a proverbial level, we we work on the written letter of the law. I mean, you could if you threw out a a proverb in the courtroom, that's just a joke. I mean, why why was that even said? So lawyers have to be well versed in the the written law, but there's a there's a resonance clash in our courtroom in that we still hold in so high regard the oral testimony of a witness as if their state of mind is more uh, more accurately presented when presented orally, you know? And yet, our law is all written. So, there's, do you see that there's a little bit of a, like a paradoxical clash of, well, what is, what holds more truth, if it's written or if it's oral? Um, don't bring the Torah into this. Sure. conversation. Sir? Well, <laughs> actually, Hold on, let me think. Maybe marshal my thoughts a little bit better. Marshal them. Please do. Um. 
You're okay. Um, universities have a similar paradox. He brings it up in his book. Um, sometimes they'll have students give a, a like a doctoral oral. They, they want to expound orally on your doctorate just to make sure that you're competent, you know. But the written one is where the, where all the meat is. He has an example of this student who, in his thesis paper, had cited uh, as one of his uh, proofs of something this uh, basically this oral reference. It, it said something like, "Told uh, to this sheriff in the presence of these two people." That was his citation. The examiner flew off the handle. If you can't use this in your thesis paper, it's. Um, it's not a written source. And the student has some good arguments against that. But the point is, and the question is, is the form in which an idea is conveyed irrelevant to its truth? The, that's what the student asks. If, if, how does um, so, something, this was attested to by multiple witnesses, uh, and so I'm citing it, how is that less truthful, less accurate, than something that was cited from a written source. And it's true in the scholarly academic world, uh, written sources have more clout, more accuracy in, uh, yeah. go ahead. Uh, um, one thought as to why that might be the case or might be viewed that way. Mm -hmm. If, um, if I am, if I am uh, asked to testify uh, regarding a particular matter, right? If I if I just share what I know or saw or heard about the matter, that's one thing. But if you are trying to determine Truth to get to uh, to get to a resolution on a particular issue. Um, if if I'm made to write down my mm. testimony as opposed to just give it orally, right? So now it's recorded. It's recorded permanently. Seems like it has more accuracy. Well, it may or may not have more accuracy, but but here's where in, in and I'm thinking particularly in, in the case of a some sort of a, a, you know, either judicial or criminal matter, mm -hmm. right? Where there's parties on both sides that are trying to gather information and do diligence on that information to determine what exactly were the facts of the case, right? So if I'm asked to testify and I write down my testimony, okay, now if I am then later interviewed about the matter again as part of a follow-up deposition or what have you. Mm -hmm. Because I've written, because I wrote down a testimony in the first instance, now if I'm changed, now if I'm interviewed again later and I'm changing the, I'm changing the, the story, so to speak, because I've recorded a testimony at a point in time where I was presumably espousing the truth now now I'm changing something or, or certain things about it 
I think the recorded testimony gives a basis to question, well, wait a minute. You said this originally, now you're saying this. Which is it, right? right. Whereas if, if my testimony was never recorded, then it, it's some, it would be harder to be able to right. pin, pin people down on, on things like that, right? So I think, in, I think because you want to capture the testimony and record it at a point in time, um, I do think there's value in, in a in written uh, in, a, in a written testimony in that type Absolutely. of situation, not to say that you couldn't tell the truth and convey it accurately just orally. Right. And you can, yeah, you can. But it's really for later being able to then refer back and say, "Well, wait a minute, this is what mm-hmm. the real truth, right? Or this is what the truth was." Then, last time, and how did, why is the truth now changing? That that or what's even more common nowadays, and it judicial sense is reenacting a particular crime, reenacting an accident, having the the victims, the suspects, whatever, actually go through what it is they espoused or they verbalized happened, and you can find those inconsistencies there. See, that's like that's like straight up evolution of culture there. Because that's that's taking it to the visual level. Right. Well, it's Kind of like an, uh, but is that bad? No, I didn't see it. Well, one thing that a good thing for having things written down is not only for going back and uh, maybe not for say not catching them in a lie, but our minds as we go on, our imaginations tend to take hold what we think happened. So a lot of times, let's say in a car accident crash, you say, "I saw a blue car come out of nowhere and cream me," and that's what you told the person in the beginning. And then as time goes on, your mind evolves in what you think happened. And you could say initially, oh, well, nothing really happened. And later on, you could say, oh, well, there was glass everywhere. You wouldn't believe what happened. And having things written down does not allow your mind to evolve and change right. what you think happened or what you heard and then change what happened. Um, I'm going to man the opposite camp. Um, I think that... Uh, Sometimes oral communication can be superior to written. Okay, and no, we didn't say anything was superior or no, inferior. No, no. Okay, l- allow me to make a more accurate statement. Make a more accurate statement. I, th- I think sometimes that writing stuff down, we can give, if we don't express ourselves, I think this is especially true of English, if we don't express ourselves enough, we don't convey what we meant correctly. Take and Paul, people, for instance. <laughs> and people can yeah. take what we writ- wrote differently than how we meant to convey it and some because a lot of you know a lot of what we a lot of um, communication is uh, in our case it's inflection how we say something rather than what we say um, although what we say is important as well and I, and I, I see it especially a lot in, in, the, in the business world where somebody sends an email and somebody else freaks out because they took what you meant in the email as a slight or an insult, or they didn't take it well. And when, when in reality, if they, if you had said the exact same to them verbally, they would have taken it differently. They'd have known, you know, just right. just on the basis mm-hmm. of your inflection and body language. Didn't put an exclamation mark at the end. Yeah, yeah never, never use exclamation all, marks. All in capital letters. Yeah. So right. my sorry, my uh, <coughs> I, I guess my ending point, my my, my point more is that. Um, I think written communication is important, but sometimes I think 
um, we miss the importance of how we say something rather than what we say. Mm-hmm. How we say it is just as, is almost as important, mm-hmm. if not more so. Yeah, I, in order to answer the question on the board here, I would probably say that no, it, it's not irrelevant. Uh, in fact, the form matters a lot, and I think it's because of where Brock was kind of going with that. But there are a lot of layers to truth. There, things in written form can be, well, in, in any medium, it, it can be manipulated by leaving key pieces of information out where it's still truth, but it's missing important parts that that add to that idea. And I, I kind of feel like you would be able to spot those a little easier when you're watching a lot more than just words coming out of someone's mouth, when you have body language and, and the various psychological occurrences that happen when somebody speaks about something. So I, I do think that it's um, the form is important to the way that an idea is conveyed. Personally, that's especially true of English. I think sometimes yeah, other languages can other languages can express more accurately what they mean without mm-hmm. with less confusion. Yeah, highly inflected languages and stuff like that. Yeah. Like uh, just just Hebrew, they have they, the, the word for you know you can give a cast to an entire sentence. Right. In English, it's not as easy. It's quite hard. Like other languages, they have words for like "I love you," and they have words for like "I love you." Need to speak these languages. Um. Yeah. Good. All right. My point here: you've gone on a lot of different rabbit trails, which is fine. It's helping me figure things out. But the point here is just to sum up Postman's point, specifically that. We've evolved from a typographic culture, a heavily typographic culture, into much more visual culture. And that's affecting um, the way we think and the way we reason that things are true. There's a really famous story I've heard a couple times now about Socrates, because he was on trial and he hadn't prepared any notes, and he, um, he, he says to the jury, like, I didn't prepare any notes, but um, like, don't take that as me lying, because I'm telling the truth. And then he, he goes on trial. Because back then, in his time, rhetoric and your organization of argument was like spoken writing. And so the way you presented all your stuff was how they determined if it was true or not. Um, that's really interesting. He, he, he got, I think... Like 300 people said that he was guilty. Because he, he didn't do very good. You can't really ad-lib rhetoric, from my experience. Um, so you see that oral culture, and then, like the presidential elections today, uh, I just watched, two, like two weeks ago, that was, I, I watched one of them. How annoying are those elections? They're, I mean, they're necessary, the, the debates, I mean. Um, I, I think I told Greg this, but I, I take a step back, and it, they're about two hours long or so. That's like 60 consecutive two-minute versions of 30-second political radio ads. And it just, it seems like it's just these lengthened radio ads, and they're going back and forth at each other. 
and I read all about like the Lincoln Douglas debates where seven hours people are just standing there listening like through meal times and they're using these paragraph long sentences and it's not that we can get back there because we can't even if the candidates today were to to speak like that or to speak that long the audience America's audience even if they were intelligent even if, if they were as intelligent as those men back then um, the audience could not could not sit that long the audience would not be able to understand that you think the stuff. audience could sit that long if there was truth and content coming out like I don't think they'd be able to understand mm-hmm. truth and content Just not in this culture well, I don't think they would want to <laughs> I think that's that's Hudson's point they wouldn't want to right if there's no reason it's it's <clears throat> anymore there is but to them there's not and there's no, I guess what it is, what it boils down to, what do I have here? Serious television is a contradiction in terms. I have that because you can't, a television is, it speaks in one voice and it's entertainment. And so whenever an, an institution tries to get on television or a serious something, like news should be serious, politics, religion, whenever they decide to get on television, instead of bringing up the seriousness of television, what they do is degrade uh, their seriousness. And it, it becomes trivial to us, either on a conscious or a subconscious level. But there, there's just no serious television. I think Postman calls it the peekaboo world, because it's like these segments of content, and then commercials, and then content. It's like, well, what, what do I even do with my brain right now? It's just back and forth, and it's all trivial. There's fire-hosing triviality at us. And um, everything's important, so nothing's important. But yet the amount of images, too, that mm. come at the person as this is going on from debate to commercial to debate to commercial, just, I can see what you're saying. I was, with I was even going to say, um, that I would say that one of the biggest things that happens when our culture goes uh, image-centric is words all lose their value because thousands of them, if pictures are a thousand words, are being 36 frames per second. One of the points that I liked most about Postman and and his, uh, his little book there was about how news and the newspaper and the idea of information coming at you was always relevant and local. Right. So it's like you were reading your local newspaper nowadays where the things that you would read about and hear about on the news were things that would literally affect your drive to work that day or it would literally affect the way that you would do business next week. Mm-hmm. It had relevance in the sense that it affected you in either a positive or negative way. Exactly. The data you got was immediately relevant. Exactly. exactly how to interpret And he had such a good point now. It's like now all you have is a bunch of cocktail chatter mm-hmm. about like some storm in Africa or a fire in Colorado. I mean, and if you didn't have family there, it's completely irrelevant and it doesn't help anything. Yeah. He, he talks a little about when the telegraph was first invented. Now everyone was talking about how New York would be able to speak instantly with uh, California. And um, someone really, it was uh, Henry David Thoreau, was like, maybe New York doesn't really have anything to say to California. And that's the truth. We, there, there's just like so much data and it's all nationwide or, or global. It's like, 
1% of this or less is relevant to me. And now I know that, but and now I can't undo that. Now give me my minute back. That was ridiculous. Now it's a little <laughs> bit more broad because of how global things have gone. Now things that, especially in the business world, if you're involved in stocks or in, involved in, in international trade, of course you have to be keeping up with the various things that are happening. But again, it's a matter of selecting the pieces of information that you allow to come in are the relevant pieces and not just broad things. And how you think the best form to get that information. Yeah. Okay. It's 8.07. We're going to chug along. Because that was only like one third. But that was the longest third because I didn't really know what I was going to say there. These are a little shorter. Let's keep, let's keep moving here. Um, tem- temporal considerations. This is, this is pretty basic, but my, my point is here, there are better things you could be doing with your time at 7.30 at night when you decide to watch a movie, or watch a 40-minute show, or a 20-minute show. And uh, I'm always afraid that when I lay this point out there, that people are going to assume I advocate asceticism and an ascetic lifestyle. Like, Messianic Jewish monk studying Torah in Waxhaw for years, which is not the worst. It's probably one of the best. But the point is um, we are meant to enjoy things in life. God gave us things to enjoy, pleasures. And we're supposed to do that. And I guess what I'm saying is if you, if you feel that you need to be entertained, there are other ways to entertain yourself than with the movie. And I would say the movie is pretty much the worst moral thing you can do um, to entertain yourself. Maybe it's not even moral. Who knows? We'll talk about that in a second. But it's like, what do I have? Can we justify the time? Uh, The idea of death and mortality. Every time I write a note to my sister, I have this paragraph in there that's just a recurring theme of my notes, which is, uh, we're all about to die, so what are you doing with your life, type thing. Um, J.C. Ryle has a book, Thoughts for Young Men, I think. You read that? It's a good book. Not to advocate J.C. Ryle too much, but he's a great author. It was about how like young men act immortal. Like, no eternal mindset of, like, I'm not going to die tomorrow, but so unlikely. And yet, statistically, that age group is the, it has the highest mortality rate. We're, we're all, I mean, statistically, we could all die. In a, in a theistic sense, God could take us at any second. So, if you know you have a limited if, if, and we should know that, that we, we were given a limited amount of time, then you're, you take this hour and a half and you decide to spend it watching something, watching Tom Cruise pretend to fight someone who has been pretending to be bad for the past half hour, shirtless. Come on. <laughs> I mean, like, that's how you're going to spend your next couple of minutes? I, I just... It just seemed irresponsible almost seems too nice of a word uh, to describe what you're doing with your time in that, in that sense. Read a book. Okay, so entertainment. Uh, 
you don't have to read a book, but I'm all about, well, if you want to entertain yourself, you should read a book because humans are the only people who can, are the only species that can read books. Just the idea that the mind and recalling previous chapters and not looking at the letters or the shapes, but getting the meaning of what the author's trying to convey. and It's huge, and we should do it more often because it's so processor-intensive, to use a computer term. That's, let's own that. Be entertained, and like Greg was saying, the imagination, it's, it's way better than a movie because it actually forces you to do it all yourself, Brock. I, I really like... The, can't we justify the time point? Because if we're all really honest with ourselves, I mean, it's exactly what you said. Can we justify the 20 minutes? Like, even 20 minutes seems innocent, but can we justify that amount of time to spend on watching something? And, you know, I actually do watch things, and, and, you, and I think it's an excellent point. It's like, well, can I really justify even the 15 minutes it's going to take to see the show? Yeah. But on a separate point, um, read a book. I, I think sometimes that you know what what we do with our time is also important I guess it's a two faceted point what we do with our time is important but also what we focus on mm-hmm. like even reading a book sometimes can be not the right thing absolutely because there was a time in my life where I, I, I personally am an avid reader but there was a time when that that took up too much of my time mm-hmm. I would spend entire afternoons and sometimes well it's not just trying to because I couldn't put the book down I was so focused on what I was reading and what I was, was reading wasn't bad sometimes it was the history book sometimes it was um, a fictional history book sometimes it, had a, it, was, it was a spiritual book but sometimes we can get so caught up in doing something like that we forget to do other things that are also important like taking care getting out there and taking care of your family or um, praying or you know, actually reading the, the, the bible um and taking care of our responsibility. Sometimes we can even let that read something as, you know, something as generally accepted as, as a good thing. Reading a book get in the way of what we should be doing, what we were called to do. And, and I guess I'm trying to make a broader point is, I think that it, we need to be able to justify the time we spend on something, but also we should remember uh, we this whatever we're spending on for time for our entertainment. We should remember what our focus truly is. And that sounds really like. I like it. <laughs> Messianic monk. <laughs> uh, which well, and that's the thing. That's what I was worried that it sounds like if you take the point, then you're going to end up saying, well, we only have this much time that we should spend all our time reading the Bible or something like that. But and not to say that that's wrong. All I'm saying is that this particular form of entertainment should be on the bottom of the list, even in the entertainment list. Yeah. And last thing, I, I personally don't think I do enough of policing my, my own self and what I do. Because, you know, I've been earlier, I, I watch stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, I don't think. But I need to, I, need, I think I, I can put more emphasis on just finding the time and making sure I keep the focus on the right things. Cool. Like the responsibilities and so forth. Were you up earlier, Greg? Did you want to say something? No, go ahead. Oh, um, just want to make sure I wasn't cutting anybody off. Um, well, I, I guess, you know, one of the issues that I see, and to your point, Brock, is is the importance of moderation. 
you know, with anything. Yeah. You know, because, you know, even though television or seeing a movie can be a waste of time and, honest, you know, honestly, there are things that can be done in its place that are more important. I mean, that's very true. But at the same time, you know, the television isn't necessarily all evil. You know what I mean? And there are absolutely good things that you could watch. Right, exactly. Yes. Right, and because, um, you know, I've noticed for myself, especially going through my doctorate program, there are uh, documentaries that I watch mm -hmm. from Jungian analysts from the beginning, you know, first generation after Jung that I glean a lot of insight from. And, you know, I, I find that as being enriching for myself, you know, so... I mean, I guess there's there's another side to it too. Yeah. There, yeah. And I would just be wary, and that's why I put in the Venn diagram temporal is is a, an overlap because there is a lot of the moral side to it, but um, you can fall into the trap of saying it's a time waste because of um, the content, mm -hmm. and but it's also a, a time concern because of the medium. And and that's really all Postman's book is about, is that you're it's the um, it's not what's on the T V, it's the T V. And that's just a, a different that's something to think about. It's not really the point. Sir. I I I have to disagree with that with his last two mm -hmm. there. Because yeah, exactly. you know, TVs, computers, radios, whatever, um, are not inherently good or bad. They just they just are. Sure. Right? Um, and kind of harkens back to the uh, 40s and 50s when the silver screen first kind of came on the scene and, and kind of in a, in a main mm -hmm. way, right? Christianity and, 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 and a lot of Christian well, denominations were were totally, you know, it's it's evil to go to go to a theater, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the theater is not evil. The content potentially can be, right? And I'm not saying and the theater is. Well, no, the TV is evil. Yeah. It's more about what it does to us. Right. But not that what so it would be in wrong, the 1930s, dangerous. when we didn't have TVs and people sat around their radio listening to radio right. shows, so there was no visual, they're still spending time sitting around right. a radio listening to a radio show. Right. Um, so, did, does that have the did that have the propensity to to have issues just like sitting in front of the TV or surfing the net all day long? Right. Mm -hmm. Which is really the, when we talk about media that absorbs time. Yeah, it's the inter the, inter the, the internet is a huge. Uh, a huge waste, waste of time for for a lot of people, right? Um, so to me, it's not it's not so much the medium, mm -hmm. at least in my opinion. It's 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 more uh, it's more the content we choose, and it's more the our the responsible use of it, right. and. You know, I think you mentioned the word moderation. I mean, that's absolutely true. We could spend all our time reading, 
and neglect other things that we should be doing. You know, just like we, you know, people walking around all day with their earbuds in their ear, you know, listening to their iPod. Right. We could debate whether that's really something somebody should be doing all day long, but lots and lots of people do it. So, to me, it's it's more about being conscious of the fact that our time, our lives, are not our own. Mm-hmm. If we are bond servants of Mashiach, then we don't have the the luxury, or quite frankly, the right to just do whatever we want to do, mm-hmm. whenever we want to do it, right? So, um, um, so I think I think that I think temporal issues are a huge, huge problem in our in our society. S- sports is a classic example, right? Football game, right? Or pick your sport. I mean, I love sports. Do I ever watch sports? Can I ever actually carry on a conversation with anybody at the office about sports? I can't because I don't. I don't watch sports. I don't keep up with sports mm-hmm. because I can't bring myself to spend the time. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I'll wait. I'll wait for the Super Bowl and maybe I'll watch the <laughs> Super Bowl. Right? But I mean, but there's nothing wrong with football. It's not inherently bad or absolutely. Bad. I see your point, but it's in the in the grand scheme of all things that you could be doing mm-hmm. and should be doing, at least in, in in hopefully our case, in the context of who we belong to and who we are, then we probably have to make different 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 choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Joseph, uh, I was just going to say briefly because I don't have too much time that I think temporal. Considerations when it comes to education, I think. I mean, honestly, it's more efficient to sure. watch a documentary about you know uh, the, the revolutionary war than it is to go read a particular book. Uh, now, uh, assuming that what you're watching is legitimate, not The Patriot or something like that, <laughs> and and just the overwhelming evidence that visual and audio. Um, Mediums actually have more retention in a, in, a, in a person than opposed to just reading a book, uh, where a ten percent average, as opposed to a uh, combined visual and audio, is like forty five, thirty percent. Understood. So. I do see a point. Somewhere over here, Wait, so you're telling me the Patriots not real? <laughs> that didn't happen. It was based on true story. <laughs> as long as the, the accident of yeah. like forty yards away, as long as that's true, I'm saying. <laughs> Um, you know, the Bible says a wise man numbers his days, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on the, the Peter side of, of this, but um, I, 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 because of the life I grew up in, you know, I have a, an extreme kind of like hatred, I, but just passion against television and against you know that whole that whole area. Um, you know, we, we don't have a TV in my house with like five college kids. And uh, and it was really cool. The first month they didn't like it. The second month they didn't like it. But month three that you start to see their productivity just increase so much. And now it's like, wow, how would I ever find time for television? You know, I used to watch their shows like, wow, how would I ever find right. time? Right. And I look back. You know, John ten ten says like, it came to give you life and life to the fullest. And it's like, while TV may not be bad, is it really the best thing? out there for us to be spending our time with. You know, I look back at you know Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, like all these great men that have lived before us, some of the um, 
you know, books we read and things yeah. like that. I was like, do I want to look back at my life and, and be like, what's some really good movies? Are we like, <laughs> exactly. Or, you or look things at like that. Like, someone 65 years old will yeah. have watched, if they watch the average amount of television that people watch in America, they'll, they'll have spent, I think it's um, about 30 years yeah. of their lives. Half of their life? Yeah. On the... Because the average person watches, um, I think, about four hours. Fifteen hours a week. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's something yeah. crazy. It's like, oh, really? Do they really watch that? But some yeah, people watch more because, you know, I think a lot of the numbers here are like less than one and two. So, I mean, some people watch 30 yeah. and 40. Yeah, I used um, to sit there in front of the TV all day long when I had a day off. So I just sit there and watch TV. Because when we sit in front of the TV, we sit there and we consume. The TV teaches us when to laugh. It teaches us what to laugh at. It teaches us what's funny. Right. It teaches us what looks good, what doesn't look good. And we just sit there and consume and we start, you know, it's like, well, this guy did this to get attention. That means I have to do this right. to get attention. And everything yeah. like that. You know, and I saw, even in, in, in my own life growing up, you know, it was like, why, why, why should my parents ever have different bedtimes? You know, why, why, but it's a serious question, you know, like, why... Why, you know, you saw, I saw it a lot, like, you know, somebody would go to bed and then somebody would stay up till 11 and watch Letterman's, like, one, I mean, that's, that's really late anyway, but it's like, you start, and we talk about, like, moderation, moderation, but, I mean, the opposite's true, like, the compound effect, it's a snowball effect, just because we started in moderation, look what it, it leads mm-hmm. to, you know, I'm a huge fan of Judge a Tree by its fruit, if you look at the fruit of our generation, the fruit of the public school system, the fruit of academia, the fruit of this media hip generation, like it's rotten. You know, so it's like it's it's not so much that it's a bad thing, but so we're settling for not even good when we could go go be great. Like reading is, is such a passionate thing and I convict myself of it all the time, especially online and stuff. Like what could I really be doing in this twenty minutes? Right. Or what could I be doing in this, you know, 30 minutes? I've got this window of opportunity. I'm going to look back and regret that. And we do it all the time. We we get dozed off or something like that. We just, like, man, we just got real busy online. But we didn't do anything. You know, you get real busy being busy. You never get anything done. Being busy doing nothing. Yeah. Perfect. Just to real quick, because I felt like Postman actually had a really good argument for why the medium does matter. And I think one of the, a good example of that is what you were just talking about. How television as a medium not the content but just as a medium we what we do is we sit in front of it and that's it like typically we have not been trained and we never really have sat in front of the tv and with with the the pause button ready to pause it to go yeah to go check the reference or to go check on something because it's taught us to just consume and there is which is the danger of using television to receive things that are serious. And that's why the medium does kind of matter because it's like, it's the package that it, it, it you know, how, that it's just like a branding concept. You know, the colors of something, the lighting of something, it all persuades you in a certain way. And it's this, it's similar with television because when something's written, I mean, we know all our, all our Bible study is written because it's like, oh, let me, I remember reading that somewhere else and we, we can jump back and forth because that's how it is presented to us. It's right. just so much more easy to do research, but a television, a, even with a documentary, but, you, but you push but play. that's relatively new, like in the last four centuries. In other words, the like at the, at, the, at the time of, well, no, like your example of having written Bible studies, right? Well, at the time of Yeshua, for example, or uh, 
the average person didn't have written scriptures. And even for centuries after that. Yeah, even for many centuries later, right? Mm -hmm. So it was oral. That's the whole idea. You had a teacher who Mm -hmm. had access. The teacher learned. The teacher uh, passed on the knowledge orally to his um, disciples, etc. So... um, so, I don't know. I, I, I think the I think the onus is on us as individuals to to make sure that, regardless of what we're choosing to spend our time, whether it's entertainment, whether it's work, whether it's you know right. whatever pick pick Moderate. activity, you know, it, we have to. It's up to us to be taking inventory of what we do with our lives, and I think we all would agree mm-hmm. that our culture and our society certainly pushes people heavily in a direction that I think most of us would probably agree is not the direction we ought to, we be, ought going. to be going in, right? Um, but I think at the end of the day, uh, to, to, to Colby's point, Shoal says all things might be lawful, but not all things are profitable. But not all things are profitable, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, in determining what's profitable, what might be profitable for you might not be profitable for me. Absolutely. Not because the activity you're doing is it's evil, is right. evil, sinful, bad, or whatever. It's because if I'm truthful about my own inclinations. I ought not to be doing that, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, uh, and there's an actual term for that in in Judaism. You can you can you can uh, uh, you can submit yourself to a uh, and I just forgot the term. Help me here. Uh, is it uh, like a fence? What was that? Are you talking about offense? No, well, it's like a personal offense, but there's a... The Chavrusa, the Chavrusa. Yeah, it's like... I can't remember the term, I just blanked out. But there's a term where you basically put a a personal uh, prohibition on yourself with respect to a certain thing. Like, you have put a prohibition on yourself that you're not watching any TV. Mm-hmm. Right? So... Therefore, for whatever reason you determined that is not profitable for you right. personally, right? So you're not you're not going to go there where somebody else may may not have that same prohibition for for you know for different different reasons. You're not talking about an issue of necessarily of right, wrong, mm-hmm. sin, not sin. You know, you're talking about an issue of of you know of personal prohibitions with, with regards to certain things for different reasons, many of which are personal reasons. So, yeah. I think Jonathan had a really good uh, analogy for that, which is someone who is an alcoholic. After they you know get through that, they decide never to drink alcohol again. Is there anything inherently wrong with alcohol? No. As you would argue, you could say it's a large part of Jewish culture to, to drink. But that person may decide for himself. Absolutely, 
I'm not going to drink. It's, it was too much of a problem for me. Right. Mm-hmm. And that um, would be a wise decision for that person. It would. And my uh, second thing, kind of to make a contrasting like representation of, of television, because um, I think sometimes if we can take TV out of the context of, okay, we're watching TV for TV's sake. Sometimes mm-hmm. you don't do that. One of my fondest memories of my grandfather was watching John Wayne movies with him. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have traded that time for anything. But I wasn't watching the movie for the sake of watching the movie. It was to spend time with him. Because that's how we spent time together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometimes, you know, you know, TV can, you know, TV by itself, is it bad? Is it a waste of time? You know, I, I would say yes. But sometimes there are instances like that where you can justify the time. And I think that's what it comes back to, justifying the time. Yeah, and you could have gone fishing. Like, I mean, that's the best alternative when it comes to uh, you know parents of your parents. Um, anyway, oh, this is a cool. This is like my favorite part of Ephesians. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul, probably second coolest writer of the uh, song scriptures. Not biased at all. I have I don't really remember why I put this slide in, but it's um appetite versus hunger. And it, just the idea, I think I was thinking that um sometimes what we think we want, we don't really want. Well sometimes what we think we need, we want, but we don't really need. And appetite always uh guises comes in the guise of uh, of the necessity. Um, but there are there are, all, are alternatives. There are alternatives, and uh, hunger is an actual. That's truthful, and uh, what can what can be satis- what How we are really satisfied is is drawing closer to God. I mean that's that's what satisfies our soul. Um, I just I just searched for it. Just, like the Psalms are replete with, you know, real satisfaction in the Proverbs too, is it comes from seeking Him and getting closer to Him. And so when we when we seek to gratify our flesh, and um, just like I'm really tired and uh, I just I need to go into zombie mode now and just watch for half an hour. I don't think you really need to do that. I think maybe there's there's something that you're look a void you're looking to fill. It can be filled another way, and that's true with pretty much um, every uh, addiction in life type thing. So, I found this cool verse. It probably has to do with a lot of other things, but I like it. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied with the eyes of man. And it, it's that idea that you're gonna. Um, it probably it probably has some very interesting interpretations, but my point is. You're not going to. You're not going to stop uh, if you're if you're doing it because you want to do it. it it's that it is going to keep going on because you're always going to want to do it. So um, there's a guy that does um, the mentor mice says lust. Lust has only one word. It's more. Hmm. It's just talking about that that same. You know, and that'll have a cool translation because mine says death and destruction are never satisfied. But, <laughs> but, but I, I mean, that's, that's yeah, so true. Let's see. 
Well, yeah, I, and I, I think that's right before that thing where um, the author is like listing those, th where he says four things, five things, you know, which is probably the coolest part of the book of Proverbs, but I think it says, um, as two daughters give and give, remember that part? Um, okay, so this is the last section, and it's just moral considerations, and whenever we get into moral considerations, it seems like this is the most dicey part of it, like judging content of films and stuff like that, as if, anyway, to start off, uh, I think this has been said before, but, but when you watch something, you put it in a place of influence, especially if you're watching a lot of stuff. Um, this has gotten a lot of backlash, at least when I bring this up in, in my own family. Because um, there are some who would say that you can, um, you can live however you want. You can do whatever you want. You can keep company and consume whatever you want. And as long as you don't let it affect you, it won't. I don't believe that. I don't believe that that's really scriptural. Um, go ahead, sir. I, I would change that slightly. I would say, um, I think you do have control of what you let influence you, but you, I, I would extend the letting to, I don't even, like, I'm not even going to put myself in that right, position. Right, right. And I'm not saying you have no control over Like, I wouldn't watch yourself. it. Like, I wouldn't watch it. Right, right. You That's just, my version of, I'm not going to let this influence me. I'm not, I'm not going to watch it. Right. And, but these other naysayers would say, <laughs> I, can, I can sit in front of this for two hours, and it won't affect me because I won't let it. Um, hang on. I think what that boils down to, or my point, is that your critical mind, your critical eye, fall asleep when you're being entertained slash amused. And I, it, maybe it's possible to wake it up, but I, I think that's so rare. When you're when you're completely relaxed, and, and studies have shown that you actually enter a small s a state of hypnosis while you're watching something with the lights, and you're just like watching it. I just don't think you can be critically like acute at that time. Jason, forgot. Sorry, oh, sorry. doesn't matter. For, I'm just gonna to second what you're saying. It's almost as though people get. Um, influenced by the subliminal messages yeah. that are communicated. Subliminal. Do you remember? Yeah, I did. Double arches? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was also going to say um, sometimes you see or hear or, or read something that is bad, mm -hmm. and at that point it's too late. Now it, it's in. Right. I think there is a level of you can't let yeah. it you don't let it affect you you yeah. try to flush it out yeah, I mean that's possible it's definitely possible you, you hear something you see something you can let that not affect you I would say you can't let it completely not affect you um, and in some sense that did just change you a little bit but um, and of course that the the illogical extreme of that thought would be a uh, aesthetic lifestyle. Doesn't matter. Did you have something or? Um, I mean, a, a, a mentor of mine always, you know, quotes Judges five verse eight. It says when, when when new gods were chosen, war came to the gates. 
Mm. And I see it so much in you know, media and TV. We're putting those idols and people and you know into our lives and, and into as idols. You can see what's happening to places of influence in our country, you know, in our in our businesses and things like that. Yeah, so I don't, I'm with you. I don't think that um, you can ever be not affected. You're going to be changed. And what could you have done better with your time? Right, yeah. right. So it's like... And um, we put... We take... I think we take either subconscious or conscious counsel from, from the movie and from the television. And I think that may be a controversial point. Um, it certainly is in this family. But... The idea that the the movie is telling us what uh, what is beauty or what is a family or what a good relationship is or how to act or how to dress and uh, especially in the malleable mind of children or uh, teenagers who are looking for what uh, what does womanhood look like or what does manhood look like in their their crying they're they're crying that out from places that they don't even know about you know that's really deep and I think those questions are being answered subliminally and it's just coming up like oh, that's how that's how I should dress you know or at least that's what that's what all the men in the movie are finding pretty uh, it, it goes back to the question do people realize that they're being influenced right you know um, and if I can go back really quickly to my dissertation topic, you know, it, nobody, and this is why I believe that it's all unconscious, because, you know, nobody is going to face a potential employee who's physically disabled and say, well, I remember seeing that movie that one time where this guy who was physically disabled was a villain, therefore I'm not going to hire him. Mm -hmm. I mean, they don't do that, but there's there's a cluster of emotionally toned, it's a complex yep. surrounding that particular image that will um, influence maybe that employer's hiring practices. So, so things like that, do people realize they're being influenced or is it one of those situations where they're so relaxed because they're being entertained that that unconscious influence is, is coming in and it has them hooked? Okay. Um, this is a little hooky. So, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. We, have we all heard this before? Mm -hmm. It's a simple re relational twisting of the truth. Anyway, <laughs> there's a corollary the friend of my friend is my friend. Wait, shouldn't that be the friend of my friend is my enemy? That would be completely inappropriate if you think about it. But it's what I call uh, relational ramping. And it is taught to me very early on by my parents, uh, having to do with women and men. And that was that, um, and it was this God triangle. So, you know, if you're both seeking God, the man and the woman, and it's this triangle shape, you inevitably get closer together because you're seeking a common goal. And so relational ramping is that, uh, and it's true with anything. If, if the girl is interested in, like, butterfly collecting, and you get really interested in butterfly collecting, then inevitably you and the girl are going to be closer together because you have more common and stuff like that. It's like, like basic stuff. It sounds scary like destiny. It, it's pretty intense. It's pretty intense. Anyway, relational ramping. Now, this is a little hooky, and I don't mean to get too hooky, but 
when we um, love what the world loves, we are on the, the, um, the relational ramp with the world. And so when we um, like go after that really popular movie, then we get a better relationship with the world. And I, th I think that's really a big problem. Um, the extreme of that is to say, well, everything that's popular in the world is automatically evil. And that's not necessarily true, but I think when something's popular in the world, you should not just um, like watch it. You should look at it and, and figure out, well, why is this popular? Why would I want... Why does the world think it's popular? Why does the world love it so much? And so if something is popular, that should be a, um, a, a weather thing. Sorry. What about like um, Fifty Shades of Grey? I can't believe I didn't know what that is. I don't, I don't know. I don't either. It's a book. So, it's so it's like soft pornography for girls. I know what it is. Oh. I said I can't believe I even know what that is. So... Right, it's bets on the bet top whatever bestseller list, yeah. right? That's and amazing. and sorry, so, I asked. So, <laughs> yeah, because it, because I to me, I think it's important that we <laughs> and maybe I maybe I kind of stand alone on this issue, but but to me, it's the the content, the media, the medium. You know, maybe I'm on an island here, but the medium. There's nothing wrong is, with books. Well, no, there's nothing wrong with books, but because I keep hearing, you know, don't watch it, don't see it, don't look at it, you know. But what about don't read it? Mm -hmm. what Absolutely. About, what about don't listen to it? Right. Because no one is saying all of those things that have, there isn't problems in each uh, medium. And right, but it's but it's not. But there's it's, always content it's the problems. Content, it's the content that that is. Largely creating. Don't miss the the, the moral hazard in, in my mind, and that content is found <laughs> everywhere across the board. Right? Absolutely, there's a big picture point here. The content is everybody talks about, and that's what we can talk about. Postman's point is all about the medium, and you should read Postman's book because I don't do it justice. Because it's, I mean, he's really pushing that. Um, content has nothing to do with it. He says, like, right in this introduction, I don't want to talk about the junk on TV. Because his point is not the junk. It's the TV. There are problems everywhere. There's, I mean, there's going to be problems on the radio, or oral culture. There's going to be problems in books. And there's going to be problems in visual. Right. Um, that's undeniable. Understood. We shouldn't read Fifty Shades of Grey. That's like on the no-read list. Right. Unless you're on a mission to compare it to Song of Songs and show and just Song of Songs to show how much better Song of Songs. Jones, is. yeah, just read Song of Songs. <laughs> <laughs> you can see how thirsty our society is for like that longing. Right. If they knew that the good stuff was over here, it's, it's like, like why would you even? It's the counterfeit. Why would you mess with that? It's like yeah, yeah it's counterfeit. It's fake. It's not even good. It's not even good. It's like unsweetened tea, like whatever. Well, you are. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truest term. <laughs> Although, the good stuff's over here. You were born south of here, weren't you? Pretty much, yeah. Did you know Well, I did, but since we don't want to talk about content. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Content. That's what I want to, bud. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I just, just kind of agree with Greg. I'm on the island with you. 
Um, <laughs> oh boy. I think um, I think you're exactly right. Like a lot of people will tell you, if they read a book that was then made into a movie, and they go see the movie and they're totally disappointed. Mm-hmm. It's because their imagination, when they read the book, it was so much more vivid. It meant so much more because they. I mean, even for me, when I read, I get more out of a book. Like to me, reading is twelve times better than seeing a movie. So, I think sometimes, to your in your analogy with Fifty Shades of Grey, the the content can be just as bad or worse in another medium. Because it, you know, when you read, you're 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 at least for me, my imagination is is more vivid than what than anybody can replicate on the screen. Sure. I think I think yeah. To, to Postman's point, though, it's like he's assuming that people are smart enough to know right and wrong when it comes to content. Yeah. Because it's the the subtlety of the delivery mm-hmm. is really what he is worried about, where people are being influenced without them knowing it. Because yeah, I mean, we just to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, we know what's wrong and what's not, and it doesn't matter what medium it comes through. But are there better mediums to receive certain content than others, I think is the issue, and I would say yes. Glad to hear it. Um, so with, with content specifically, whenever I bring up content I have with a couple of my brotherly friends, the, I, I, uh, someone always brings up the absurdity of actually drawing a line of content, and, and maybe some of you were here for Joshua Nunez's class. I, I think he was teaching on the fear of God at the time with the chocolate poop brownies. Um, absolutely brilliant, and, and I'm not going to repeat it right now, but just the idea of, well, well where do we draw the line, and um, even to take a step back and say, is, is there a problem with watching something evil, if you're not doing the evil thing yourself, you know, I get that argument a lot, like, well, then I, I shouldn't even go to the mall, you know, because there are, like, there's terrible things walking past in the mall, so uh, what am I, what am I going to do? And, like, where do you, violence, sex, profanity, some thematic elements, it's like, it's like, what, how do we quantify um, what's wrong, what's right, and what can I watch, because I hear... Like some beefy guys are like, I don't have any problem with violence, you know, it doesn't really affect me. And there's other guys like, um, profanity doesn't bother me. You know, I can, you know, I can just zone out with profanity, you know, stuff like that. And we're talking about sort of ethereal things. I think we could all agree that if there was something that's so, like, blatantly against Torah, like like nudity, I think we would say, well, of course they're not going to watch that, you know. Um, but it's still this confusing, paradoxical question. Like, do like murder is against Torah, but do we watch people murder? Like, then do we watch the Patriot? You know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There was yeah. some murder. I, I was replying to no answer. But. Uh, and what I do, and, and I'd, I'd love to hear your, your own, um, your own, where you draw the line on content. Uh, like, what, what movies would you not watch because of, of content and, and stuff like that? Because what I've done in, in my life, because I'm not 
I wouldn't say I'm completely against watching anything. I just don't um, watch anything. But I I recently heard this idea of um, like just the Messiah issue, like Yeshua, and how that sort of blows all your lines out of the water. Um, just the the idea that would you watch this with Yeshua next to you type thing, and it, if we really are going to be conformed to the image of Messiah, uh, it goes back to the bracelet. You know, like what would Jesus do? That sounds very cliche. WWYD. WWYD. And but I think it's I I think it uh, has has weight. Um, like what is how is this going to affect my children? How is this going to affect uh, my wife? How is this affecting me? It, and if you think it's not affecting you, think again. You know, um, we are what we eat. Common phrase. We are what what we eat eats. Also common phrase. Um, I think it should be changed to we are what we consume, because because we take in more than just uh, through our mouths and. I think it, it is going to affect us. Someone said, uh, if you had someone just watch television like eight hours a day for a couple months um, without stopping, inevitably they would become what they were watching because there would be no other counselors in their life. And so, sure, we pair it back a lot. Maybe we only watch once a week or once a month but we're still allowing that to be a counselor. Well, I think that's the that's the point. Did anyone have their hands raised? No? Thoughts on content? Well, just that all those things you put up there, to a certain extent, can not only be found historically as a form of education, but also even in the scriptures. Absolutely. So, so, so again, it, it is the entertainment, that the, what you're going to allow to amuse you, to, to partake of um, in a form of brain rot, uh, existence. I think that's that. That's more or less the problem. Not that I mean there is a time for violence. I mean, if not, what is the book of Judges? But Ehud assassinates this one guy, and it goes into big, very detailed description <laughs> how of how he did it, the yeah. weapons he used. I mean, there's no more macho left-handed, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so, 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 so I think your content is. Is, um, and that's why it's ethereal and nebulous because you can't really gra- grasp it. Like the Bible has David and Bathsheba. Right. The Bible has like all these wars and stuff. Samson and Delilah. It's all. I mean, it was. I would well, say because all of that stuff is life, right? That's right. right. It's 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 reality. Reality is you know. <clears throat> kind of might sound sort of uh, kind of crude, I guess, but life is. You know, violence in a lot of cases, sex in a lot of cases, and you know, e- eating and drinking. I mean, that that that's life. Um, yeah, and the scripture bears that out. Mm-hmm. I think it comes back to, uh, it comes back to, what do we do with that in the context of the relationship we have, right, with with Yeshua? Um, I mean, Yeshua himself. When he returns, he's going to do some pretty. Violent he's going yeah, to do some. It's going to do some pretty violent things. Yeah, right. So, so again, to me, it's not so much violence per se, 
sex per se, mm -hmm. the, you know, pick, pick whatever, you know, word you want. Mm -hmm. Those are all real things in, in life, and we all have to deal with it. We all encounter it in one form or another. The question is, the question is, what will we spend our time dwelling on? What do we, uh, in, in, in what context are we interacting with those things, right? Um, that is where I think the, the proverbial stuff. rubber meets the road, right? The world is violent, period, right? We could move to the Holy Land and live in the Holy Land and be even more violent. And we, and we would be faced with violence at every turn, right? Um, so it's not those attributes that's the issue. It's the issue, in my view, is again how we are how we are interacting with those things. How we, you know are we dwelling on? Are we seeking out those things and dwelling on those things and spending all of our time on those things and whatever? Those that's that's the real that's the real issue. Um, yeah. Okay. So, anyway, I don't know if I articulated that as well, but yeah, that's a valid point. Very certain point. It's not so much what you see. I mean, like Yeshua says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. For it's better for you to lose a member of your body than for the whole body to cast into hell. Or the same thing with your hand. Mm -hmm. And. Um, a, a good Torah teacher is also Messianic, Dr. Uh, Dr. Walter Oakley. He's like, okay, so so you see something with your eye, and it's it's a sinful thing you saw, so you're going to rip out your eye. And but you also have a brain, which is now going to categorize whatever it is you saw and file it, and then on to a certain extent, active recall, you can come up with that thought, fantasize on it, or with it. Uh, d does that mean you chop off your head if in there lies the problem? And his point is really that whatever you see, like you said, going to the mall, I mean, now what? There's terrible things walking to and fro, terrible things plastered on, mm -hmm. or, or the violence, or, or the profanity. If you, if you ride the bus, which we, we did today, actually, you're going to hear, you're going to experience that. And it's not, those things that you cannot control are not those issues. That's, that is the responsibility of the individual with the mind of Messiah. But it is the things you have control over, mm -hmm. content, you can regulate that. That's the crux of this issue. That's a very, you know, to tag on too with what Brother Greg and Jonathan are saying, you know, it really drives home the concept of being in the world but not of the world. Mm -hmm. You know, to be able to coexist with everything that's going around us, but yet at the same time not take part or, you know, fellowship. Yeah. Did you have something, Brian? Uh, no. Did you have something else? No, I mean, uh, I mean, I, I again just um, you know the mall, the mall reference, right? So in our culture, that's a that's a common reference that we can all point to, right? Mm -hmm. When you go to the mall, what, what, what's what's the subliminal messages, right? It's all materialism, consumerism, and you know all of the scantily clad American young girls who like to spend their time, you know, in mall. those particular mm -hmm. venues, right? So. Uh, so yeah, um, I, I would probably counsel against spending an inordinate amount of time at the mall, right? But in every generation, 
throughout the history of the world. That issue, while in our society today, might might be the mall or you know whatever. There's always been that, always will be that. So it's not like our generation is is really. I mean, we we like to think our generation is is more perverse than prior generations. Um, It's nothing new. But no, I mean, Hashem destroyed mankind at one point because it was so perverse, right? I mean, look at look at the Roman culture. I mean, they didn't have TV. They didn't have electronic communication. Didn't stop them from living a very perverted, you know, lifestyle, right? Um, all focused on consuming and indulgence and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So that that's why I focus less on the medium and really focus on content. The, well, content for sure, the time for sure, I think those are the real issues. Because the medium has always been different in any point in time, but you still have the same problem. It doesn't matter what the medium was. Because you still have sinful uh, people who are going to find a way and an excuse and, and, and try to justify feeding the appetites that they want to feed. But I do like Jonathan's point about the things we can control and the things right. we cannot control. Right. And if we know we can control something, I'd rather flee from the devil. Absolutely. absolutely. And, and, and it's important to realize the problem isn't the content. The problem is you. Right. You are the sinful person who's, who's, who's been redeemed. You are the one who's, who, who has the ability to actually do anything about it. You know? so. I don't know if we can flee the devil. The Bible says resist the devil, but flee temptation. Like when you're on the bus or in the mall, you're resisting, you know that. But if you've got a chance to go see a movie where you know there's nudity, you go see that movie. You didn't flee. It's yeah. like, oh, I just said. Well, of course you did, dummy. You went to the movie where you know there was nudity, you know, where they're saying the Lord's name in vain. You know, it's and like, oh, here's six bucks. Say it again. Say it again. We're paying for them to like say that. Six dollars been a long time since you've been to a movie, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, just, I, went the other day and I was like, I can't believe I just paid for them to like say the Lord's name. Yeah, <laughs> I just paid, I just encouraged them with my money, you know. So, yeah. I th- well, my son is very simple to watch movies and television, but I think the way that I got there is because I have these three um, fronts: psychological, uh, temporal, and moral. And no matter what excuse I throw at me wanting to watch this particular film, one of those three just combats it immediately. It was like, you're either, you know, stupid, a sinner, or uh, stupid. So <laughs> it's like, you just can't do it. But and, and that's sort of my point, because it's so easy to get bogged down with these specific battles, like the content battle. It's so easy to say, well, and, and making all these, these lines about where, and I can watch this, but if, it's, if he says this twice, then that's going to be too much. Or if it's rated PG-13, I can see it, but not if it's R or something like that. You know, It's so easy to get bogged down, and I would much rather everyone just take a step back and just look at the, the big picture, like big picture... Um, what the medium does to your mind, big picture, what, how you're spending your time, big picture, what the content's actually doing um, to your soul. And that's, that's basically it. 
This is one of my favorite verses from Psalm 119. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Probably probably the best verse. That's all I have. Any uh, final questions or anything? Comments? Do you want to see a movie this weekend? (laughs) (laughs) Good job. Thank you. We thank you um, today. We thank you. This is the day you have made, and we will rejoice and we will be glad in it. Thank you for um, for um, Peter stepped to the plate to uh, lead the discussion on an important issue. Um, and I pray that uh, we would all just um, take all the discussion and take inventory in our own lives and make sure that wherever we land on the issue that um, we have um, we have considered it through um, prayer and, and counsel with scripture and with other godly men and I just pray that you would um, bless uh, all of these Zadikim um, that you would just keep them healthy and safe as they continue through the week um, and I Pray for uh, Joseph and Alan as they are away in the mountains, hopefully catching some good uh, time away and some rest and relaxation. Uh, pray for Joshua and Juliana as they wrap up their first week um, of their new life together. We pray that they would have safe travels to Paris and a great time there and, and return safely home. And uh, we just uh, Trust you for all of this, Bashim Yeshua, Mashiach Adonina, Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir.